Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. So our guest today is uh, Slava Bromfman, co-founder and CEO of Cybellum. Slava has spent the past 10 plus years building cybersecurity products and technologies as well as leading Cybellum from being a tiny startup to a global cybersecurity company that was recently bought by LG. He's also our boss, but we won't hold that uh, against him. So uh, Slava, welcome to the show. Thank you, Slami. I'm happy to be here finally. Thank you for hosting me in your great podcast. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your, your journey and how you got into the world of product security to begin with. Well, uh... My journey in general in tech started, I think, like most or almost all of the tech founders, uh, especially cybersecurity founders of startups in, in Israel in the, in the IDF, which I believe is one of the best schools in the world for cybersecurity and especially for, for product security. You know, there is not an, a lot of places where you can actually deal with physical products, their security, you know, uh, various industrial IoT products and so on. So that's basically where I started during my military service, working on very large scale, uh, especially industrial IoT projects. There I also met my co-founder, our CTO, Michael. Together we worked on you know, various um, projects related to product cybersecurity, physical product cybersecurity. And what was interesting back then is that most of the things that we were doing and general most of the cybersecurity community was doing was basically manual, be it, you know, vulnerability research or reverse engineering of, um, you know, those devices was, was mainly manual. There was very, you know, small amount of things that started to be automated or automatic. And basically when we discharged, we decided that it's about time to, you know, to automate this entire uh, area. Fast forward about a year after we started Cybello, uh, we met a guy, his name was, probably know him, he also participated in the podcast here, uh, Mr. Ronan Lago. He used to run the cybersecurity of the product uh, for the G- German giant OEM Daimler, uh, Daimler Mercedes. Yeah, so he basically, you know, showed us uh, all the challenges, the real world challenges of, uh, you know, product security from the manufacturing point of view, the very complex supply chain that has, pretty much, you know, no visibility, there almost no regulation and standardization and so on. And with his help and guidance, we actually started product security in the automotive field. And the rest is history. After that, we started to run Cybellum in the product security area, uh, moved from automotive to medical devices and also industrial IoT. That's my journey here. Quite a lot in, in 10 plus years, that's for sure. Yeah. Very impressive, very impressive. So... You have an interesting perspective because you've seen the product security world mature from a time 
when there was no one in charge of product security, to now when we have more and more companies who have CIPSOs, Chief Product Security Officers. So what are the main changes you've seen in the past few years as the industry matures? Yeah, well, David, you know that the last few years in the product security world was like really seeing a baby growing up from practically nothing or product security. We didn't even have the term product security five or six years ago. It was general, like, in, for example, in the automotive world, it was very specific. Uh, they called the head of car security. Uh, the head of car security, and it was, you know, also traditionally reporting to the CISO, right, to the chief information security officer, or at least as part of the CISO branch. And uh, there was, back then, there were a lot of attempts to combine, you know, the product security side of the house and the information, the IT security, you know, part, and try to, you know, to adopt and enforce the same policies, the same methodologies, and so on. Looking at it today, this, I think, one of the biggest changes that we understand that product security is a practice, you know, by, by its own and have their own, you know, or people on budgets and so on. And they're usually the peers of the, of the IT security in, in the organization. So I think this was one of the greatest, you know, movements in the product security world where we started from, a, you know, just one guy or, you know, one individual contributor that was under the, C- under the CISO. And today we have full teams that are reporting to the CIPSO, as you mentioned, and sometimes reporting directly to the board of directors or to the CEO of the organization. Another big shift is obviously, you know, I mentioned also before the sizes of the teams and the budgets. Again, product security or what we call today product security was just based on, you know, best efforts and some innovation activities of individuals in the organizations that were just taking some research and try to apply it to their products without, you know, real practice. I think this is uh, the things that really changed or really shifted the industry upside down and budgets. You know, when we started, there was practically no budget. It was just, you know, doing best effort with whatever leftovers they, they had from the IT security or from the project product itself. Uh, and as you know, there, there are really, really some leftovers in the budget. So we, we really worked with the innovation teams. Where we see today, there is you know, huge budgets for teams, uh, technologies, implementation of processes. There are you know, regulations and compliance that those guys need to, to comply with. So it's really seeing you know, the IT industry, kind of if I'm trying to, to kind of to have a, a similar example, like having the 20, 30 years, you know, that the IT industry got where it is today from the, you know, from the early um, 2000s, like this 20 years, like in five, six, five, you know, very quick in five, six years, we saw this uh, maturity in the, in the product security world. Yeah, and it, it right. doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to have the uh, president of the United States come out with an executive order, specifically talking about cybersecurity. You know, in the supply chain regarding devices. I'm sure that's also helped it along as well. Absolutely, that's uh, you know things like that. They're a huge catalyzer to to everything that's happening in the industry. And but as you can imagine, they're also coming pretty much late, meaning if we have an executive order like that, that's 
that basically means that they already saw some incidents and they already understand, you know, what's a huge impact the risk can cause to the national security in the United States. But absolutely, you know, that's a huge thing that moves the entire industry forward regarding everything. So speaking of, of regulations and, and compliance, I'm curious because you worked with a lot of these uh, standardization bodies like the ISO and NTIA uh, working groups from the very beginning, things like the ISO 21434 and bombs. Can you tell us how it all started? Well, I'm not sure that I know all the, you know, all the history, how those groups started, but I can tell you that I met Alan, Alan Friedman about six years ago at some, you know, minor conference at the SCAR in, uh, in Michigan, United States, uh, where, where he still worked, you know, there was still no group, uh, no SBOM group, no NTIA group. He worked for the U.S. government and said that there is a new initiative to start with SBOMs and uh, that he's trying to lead this activity. And he was really a pioneer in the area and was looking for early adopters to join him, you know, just to, to start this kind of movement that we see today. And I do think that it was kind of one man push back then to start with. Obviously, the US government and the NTIA, you know, saw that the risk and understood that there is a gap when we don't have S-bombs for all the devices that the US government is, you know, purchasing and the risk of purchasing devices from China and so on, and, you know, the black box, just buying black box with, with the risk uh, of it. And, you know, in my opinion, Alan did tremendous job really pushing this entire thing forward. And we can see really how, you know, one man, you know, vision and belief can really shift the industry. And after that, of course, there are tons of people that joined him. Uh, regarding the ISO 21434, you know, it was a funny thing that when it started, when I, I joined the ISO, it was over five years ago, I think, or almost six years ago. Basically, there were very, very strong voices that this entire ISO 21434 should be just another chapter in, under the ISO 26262, which is the functional safety for automotive. And there is no reason to have a practice for cybersecurity, um, you know, there were, again, very strong voices from various delegations that were trying to, to convince everyone that cybersecurity won't be a risk by itself. It's just, an, um, just a small chapter of functional safety. Personally, I'm very happy, and I think the entire industry is kind of happy today that we eventually chose another path, uh, the path to have a, a cybersecurity standard for automotive you know, that will um, stand by itself. And the other thing, when it started, it was... I think one of the first examples of a good collaboration between the European ISO and, and the American SAE. And uh, I think that most of the OEMs in the world and the tier ones in the world combine forces and join one of those organizations to really drive this uh, standard forward. And all the teams were really tried at the beginning to really uh, get more and more participants from OEMs and tier ones, because very early on they understood that the only way that such standard can be relatively quickly adopted is if we'll have, you know, all those guys really writing the standard. So, um, yeah, it was a long journey, a long journey, you know, to get where we are today. With it. Right. Great. So 
By this point, uh, Cybellum is working with some of the largest manufacturers in the world, also in the automotive, also in the medical device, and also in uh, critical infrastructure industry. So what are the main things you've learned about product security after working with those very large companies and organizations? Well, it's a great question. You know, we're dealing with it a lot also here in Cybellum, as you know, that we're always trying to understand, you know, what part of the product should be specific to a vertical or to an industry and what can be uh, and what should not and what, you know, what commonalities we have between uh, those verticals. I think I learned or we learned a lot that we learned two things. One is that there are huge commonalities or um, pretty much same things uh, across all those verticals and industries, especially around uh, processes and methodologies and, um, you know, workflows that they are doing. So it doesn't matter if you're coming from the automotive world or the medical device world or the industrial IoT, you're pretty much, you know, you need to have a peer organization for the post-production of your your devices and you need to create a process for vulnerability management and vulnerability assessment in the pre-production phase. And these processes are pretty much, again, the same across all the industries. What is actually really different are the frameworks and the type of devices that are used and the stages, uh, which are very, you know, specific to each and every industry. And in some cases, we understand that they are very specific to each and every customer. You can see huge variations between customers. So I think a lesson that we learned is that we need to, to build a product that will be, you know, uh, that will cover uh, the product security aspects that are, you know, that are uh, common across industries with, you know, the right processes, the right reports, the right dashboards, uh, you know, the right workflows, again, that are, that will be the same pretty much across all verticals. And on the other hand, we also understand that each customer is kind of a, a project by itself. You need to understand each customer's, you know, uh, specific and proprietary bill of materials because every customer has different ones. You need to understand uh, specific architecture, specific devices, specific stages in their life cycle. So yes, I think that was kind of our lesson learned after quite a few years in the industry that product security is a practice that uh, is growing and will grow a lot more in the coming uh, years, but uh, it's kind of common across all industries that have mission-critical uh, devices. But on the other hand, you cannot have just an you know, off-the-shelf solution that you can just you know, download or and install and have it you know, up and running in a few hours. Every customer is different. They need their own, you know, own treatment. The onboarding is sometimes can be, you know, quite long to make sure that every product that um, these guys have, have, you know, a good representation in the system, uh, have its own, what we call in our jargon, the digital twin of this component and so on. So, yeah, these are kind of the things that we learned here. Right. I think this is a big differentiator also from IT security where companies are using, let's say, standard solutions, you know, standard firewall, standard network, and endpoint protection uh, solutions. And, and, and they don't need to have that, let's say, custom, more customized or more um, you know, specific product security uh, platform that's been you know, customized for them. 
because their product is unique. Each product is unique. Each product has many versions and so on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just if you think of a network, enterprise network, it's eventually, you know, laptops and, and servers. And it doesn't matter if it's the network of Bank of America or Walmart. On the other hand, if, if you're looking on medical devices, obviously the Johnson & Johnson and Philips have completely different medical devices with completely different architecture and so on. Both of them should have, you know, follow the same processes, but uh, in terms of product security, how they manage the security, but the system or every security solution should be adjusted to the specific needs of every customer. Yep. Right, right. So you've been very outspoken about uh, the need for managing product security versus just doing, you know, simple product security activities. Can you elaborate on that and explain what's the difference in your view? Yeah, so I think that what I'm always speaking about is the maturity process of 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 the you know those companies or organizations and uh, manufacturers. So what you, what you just mentioned is doing product security. I always refer to as detecting issues, and that's kind of maturity level. Call it base zero, base one in the maturity. Uh, process that uh, all those companies are going through. So detecting issues can just scale so much, right? So you are detecting some issue. And then when you as a product security team focused uh, on detecting issues, you create more and more work for yourself and all the problems are kind of yours. So like if you detected the vulnerability in the product, so now you need to manage. So now you need to to understand the risk of that. Now you need to, to mitigate it. Now you need to release a patch and so on. And that's pretty much cannot scale. It could work, you know, maybe five years ago when you had one connected vehicle, for example, and there was almost no threats. Uh, but today the issue is that you really need to scale across so many devices, across so many, you know, versions of devices that you have, some of them in the field, some of them in, in development, some of them in design. Uh, and how you really scale across all of it. And also looking at what, you know, the IT security industry went through in the last, again, 20, 30 years, it's pretty much the same. They started by detecting issues, but today the IT security teams are not really just detecting, they're actually managing it. You know, we have those buzzwords of orchestrating things and so on. And that's exactly where we are today in the product security world. So uh, we cannot any longer, you know, focused on detecting issues. We really need to manage it. I love the word, uh, the term dispersion. How you actually, as a, as a security team, how you actually push all the data that you have to the, to the engineers, to your vendors, you know, kind of downstream right. your supply chain. And the, the next level of all the product security teams, we see very few that are already there to really do product security management where they set up the policy, they set up the workflows, and they are responsible for enforcing their policy across all their teams that they're managing, the product teams that are developing the product within their organizations or their suppliers, and also doing the same kind of upstream, meaning communicating the risk to the relevant stakeholders, be it uh, their customers, the legal team, the marketing team, if there is something public and so on. And that's pretty much the only way they will be able to scale with the resources that they have today, which is also, you know, it's a lot better than what we have a couple of years ago, but it's still not a lot. 
yeah, and that's why I'm so, you know, so vocal about um, the management part of it and rather than just, you know, still focusing on detecting issues and trying to, you know, to solve them one on one, just cannot scale. Right, right. I mean, if there's something to be learned from, from the IT cybersecurity evolution, it's exactly that, right? That sometimes what you call dispersion is, is a bigger problem, actually, than, than just detecting the threats. And so managing it, dispersing it, and making sure people actually follow up on that and, and, and fix the issues, uh, that's becoming the problem pretty quickly. So it makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, the, the problem becomes the problem of the entire organization. I mean, once you push it to, their, to the other teams, to your vendors and so on, you, you kind of share the problem. You own, obviously, you're accountable for also delivering the solution and the status of that, but you are not no longer only, you know, doing that and both trying to solve it and so on. You're sharing your pl- problem with the relevant stakeholders in the organization. That's absolutely obviously helps a lot. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, regardless of whether we're talking about the automobile industry or we're talking about medical device industry or industrial manufacturing, the need to manage, as you mentioned, management. I mean, there are so many different versions, so many different products and creating S-bombs isn't just enough. You know, so what? So you create a, a bill of materials, but then you have to manage that against the vulnerabilities. And then you have to manage that in your development environment, then you have to manage that when it's out in the market. You have to know where it is at all times so that if there's a vulnerability that pops up and we won't use the uh, the L word from last year, from this past year, <laughs> that drove so many manufacturers and took up so much of their time to find out where uh, Log4j was affecting them, right? So if you can't manage that, then, then you know everything you've done in the creation stage I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but it's it's definitely you're not going to get out of it what you otherwise would be able to if you had that management in place, the ability to manage in place. Yeah, no, absolutely, David. You know, in regards to that, I also think that we see today uh, kind of a realization in the industry regarding uh, from the ASMO perspective. So for the last two years, I think everyone was about Let's generate S bombs. Let's create S bombs. Uh, that's we must have S bombs for every uh, you know single device that we have. But now we hear more and more you know people saying, okay, now what? We have all these S bombs. We generated them. We created them. Now what? How we actually maintain them up to date? How we derive a real risk from that? How we can actually confirm that those S bombs that we created are the S bombs that our suppliers approve and so on? So now from creating the NAS bombs, the industry starts to understand, okay, now we need to actually manage it. We need to manage it, you know, across all the, um, the lifetime of our products. And we also, also need to derive some actionable data out of the S bombs rather than just have S bomb as our, you know, main goal of creation. Right. Great. So, uh, it's been really a lot of fun speaking with you. I mean, we do that on a daily <laughs> basis, <laughs> but yeah. I think we can, we can, <laughs> You know what? I always learn from you. It's wonderful. You know, uh, a very much, you know, someone who has such an entrepreneurial spirit, but also understands the market. It's really great. So I'd like to close with, uh, with, with a question more about, let's say, a personal question. What, what is the most exciting moment that you've had in the industry or as part of your journey with Cybella? Well, you know, I don't think there is one. There are many, you know, 
points. Uh, to me, it's always, you know, we started this company almost seven years ago from my rented apartment, just not too far away from where, where we are sitting today, where our you know, office today. You know, it was just a dream back then and think today that Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 even, I think Fortune 50 companies today are using Cybellum as their main product, as their go-to product uh, for everything product security. You know, huge brands like you know, like Nissan and, and BMW and Audi and, and Jaguar Land Rover in the automotive field and, and others in medical and so on, really using our product on a daily basis. That's, that's amazed me uh, every time. Also, you know, companies or uh, customers that we started with them three or four years ago, and there was just one guy that was, uh, you know, running product security was again reporting to the CISO with very minor responsibility. And today, this guy owns a team and a huge budget. And, um, you know, you see how, what's the status of those guys today in the organization versus where they were three or four years ago. And, you know, always also like to, to think that uh, our product and the reporting that we were providing throughout all these years helped them actually, you know, build the team, uh, drive the, the need uh, in the company, you know, show the risk and so on. This always, you know, what I'm really happy about and really got me like excited about what we're doing here. That, that's really great. So um, thank you. It's been really wonderful having you on this podcast. I know we've been talking about doing this for yeah. quite a while <laughs> and we finally yeah. nailed down the time. And uh, speaking for me and uh, my colleague here, Shlomi, <laughs> I'm sure he'll actually uh, add on to this, but really it's been great. And everybody, all, all the listeners out there, I'm sure have really enjoyed it and have learned a lot. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.